Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of the PD Sports Podcast. Hopefully, you're well. Once again, I am joined by Damo. How you going, mate? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. 40, huh? It was it just hit me as you said it. 4-0. Wow. Just uh, think that we started when like the Super League was the talk of the town. Now we're here, halfway through the Premier League season. It's just crazy to think we've done 40 episodes. It's crazy. It's definitely flown by very, very quickly. But once again, the world doesn't stop for us. And sport has just really kicked on again this week. There's been lots of drama, lots of different things that we've needed to consider. So we've got plenty to go through across a few different codes, which is nice. Again, it's not just football dominant, but I think football is just the protagonist as things are developing at the moment. Who do you want to start with? Do you want to start off with the the easiest game to analyse before we start picking apart? So, City go marching on. uh, Four was it four 0 in the end? Yeah, absolutely. Just put Newcastle to the sword, didn't they? They just gave them nothing. Oh look, they are just an unreal football side, and this is going to be a Cancelo appreciation talk. He is just next. He's class. He could play in the ten. He could play in the eight. He could play in the six, which is obviously seven. Both fullbacks. Fullback either side. I honestly think he could play him up front and he would still bring others in the play and still know how to score. His second goal, he hits that like he's De Bruyne. It is ridiculous. And the fight to even get the ball in the box for the first goal. And like, I, I, it just, that sums up Newcastle. Off his cross. Yeah, yeah, it sums up Newcastle. Centre-back looks at the keeper. Keeper looks at centre-back. Both do nothing yeah. about it. And Ruben Diaz... And give a free header. Ruben Diaz has the easiest goal he's ever going to score. Can I just say, had both in fantasy. Always nice. Um, yeah, I had Cancelo and Laporte spewing. Yeah, got the wrong yeah. wrong centre-back in. Yeah, I took a 12-point hit because of you know, Omnicron. Um, and had Cancelo and Diaz. And they basically saved my week, which is good. Um, but yeah, we... Uh, uh, we need to talk about Cancelo. I think he's the best fullback in world football at the minute. And I know we have Trent on our side. And I even still think that uh, Cancelo asks Trent at the minute. He's just unbelievable. He's one of the best that I've seen playing the Prem. And he's just in a system, that city, that just suits him. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I think Trent has that ability to do the unbelievable, where I think Cancelo's ceiling's not as high but his consistency he just does it week in week out where we see with Trent he sort of drifts in and out of games or he's has the odd one where his defensive ability lets him down where Cancelo has that base with his defensive work but then also going forward he's being a real good outlet for for Man City so I think I think for a full, all-rounded fullback I reckon you're on the money there yeah uh, with I, Kinsella. I reckon so I, I think that as much as I love Trent it's his defensive ability compared to Cancelo's all-round man game that probably lets him down still think Trent probably yep. going forwards maybe slightly better I think Trent's better at hitting a ball more sweetly yeah but, um yeah Cancelo is just at the minute and like just people, does everything people think I may be biased but I am in love with the guy I honestly think he is one of the best fullbacks to go down in Premier League history when he's all said and done so yeah Cancelo yeah. for me at the minute and City are unreal and look they're definitely the team to be I think that they're a team that at the minute of how healthy the squad's staying we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second um, but, you know, just how much depth they've got in the squad. If they ever sign a striker, no one will catch them this season. They just look unbelievable. Yeah, and they're just, they're playing really good football. And that's the thing, isn't it? Like, they're just, they're looking good. It's just, there's the odd game where if teams do set up to not concede, 
they're looking for a a De Bruyne or they're looking for someone to pull out a moment of magic where if you just have that striker, just imagine just the, the issues that it would cause defences. Like everyone would be man-to-man practically. And you got Foden and Bernardo Silva scoring for fun and even Mares scored again at the weekend. He, he doesn't, you know, start the amount of games that I think he should. So Any if they yeah, get a quality is, nine. Any other Premier League club, Mares is nailed on. He's locked in, yeah, except for us. Yeah, because our front three is our front three. But anywhere else, man, that guy, even in like Bundesliga, he probably starts in Dortmund's front three. Um, I think at Bayern he could. Uh, and I look at both Barcelona and Real Madrid, and they, he would start there, I reckon. So he's probably a touch yeah, unlucky. Yeah, same with Serie A clubs. Yeah, he's probably a touch unlucky. He's at City where he probably doesn't get as much minutes because I love Mares as well. That just shows how good City squad is, is that when a guy like Mares is nailed on... Um, they are just a joke. Yeah. I feel Foden didn't even see a minute on the weekend, and the guy was unbelievable in the drubbing they did the week before. So, yeah, yeah like, the fact that they've got the ability to rest uh, players of that quality and still not lose a heartbeat out of the team—that's that, the thing. Like their squad depth, we've spoken about it so much. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? It's just next level, and that's with everything going on in the Premier League at the minute. It's probably why they deserve to be where they are, and. You know, uh, we've had the chat previously about Omnicron, and maybe we'll bring up the question now that I posed to you in the chat. Um, do you think the Premier League came out after they met with the managers overnight and said that as long as teams can field 13 players, including a keeper in their first team, or first team regulars, and then 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds that they want to fill out the bench, they're going to make the fixtures continue. Now, rightly or wrongly, it is what it is. My question was, is it right that City being so healthy get so much an advantage on like Chelsea and Liverpool because they've been a little bit ravaged with Omnicron? And I actually think they should be. If they're managing the squad well enough and they've got that much depth, you know, it's the same with an injury crisis. You know, if they can stay healthy and if their injuries were to happen but the squad's so big and not so well-rounded, then they deserve to be where they are. Like, um, I don't... Yeah, for me, I said it last week, yeah. it was just the Premier League's not going to stop because of the amount of money it brings in. So yeah. regardless of what anyone thinks, the league's not going to stop because teams are struggling to field teams. They're going to make teams use their club, and I think that's fair. Players are, don't have to be registered under the age of 21. Use them. Yeah. That's just, I think that's... You know, it's not the same for the same for us last year with losing, you know, big elements of our squad at big periods of time. We still had to turn up. Are we going to win the league last year? No, but you know, shit happens. Let's just move on. Yeah, like exactly. your professional, your professionals, everyone there's there for a reason. So utilize your squad. That's just how I I see it. Yeah, a lot um, of- obviously teams like Leeds, you know, I feel for them, but you know, unlucky. Yeah. Someone's going to benefit. From, someone's going to benefit from that. So, you know, there's winners and losers in any situation in life. And unfortunately, Leeds are the, in a position at the moment where they're going to be, you know, losers in this situation because of how stretched they are, not just because of COVID, but because of injuries and other issues as well. Yeah, so um, a lot of the managers were wanted a, br- a week break or a two-week break. And yeah, don't do anything. Premier League came out and said that they can't reschedule the fixtures, apparently, from this meeting. And they're going to try and make as many games as possible go ahead as normal. And then obviously came up with this rule of uh, what was being stated you know, from the meeting is apparently if they've got 13 registered players plus a keeper that are available and they can play. So maybe the Liverpool-Leeds game could be a little bit iffy because I know Leeds have got like 10 people out with COVID and then the injuries on top and, you know, uh, it could be maybe a bit iffy that Leeds game. But They should be getting yeah. people back now yeah. from COVID though because they've been struggling for a couple of weeks. I agree too. So um, I, I think that the way it's all structured, as long as your club isn't ravaged... Like, if they've got 30 people from the youth team all the way through the first team, 
COVID-wise, yeah, don't play. But if they've even got eight to ten youth players that are available, look, yeah, you're probably going to get beat, but that's the world we live in. Go play your game of football, I think. As a Liverpool fan, I want this game week at a minimum to go ahead because we got Leeds, and I think we really need to play Leeds with them under strength. Yeah. So, um, free, free three points. Yeah, well, that's what it should be. No game's ever easy, but we should go out there and beat them easily. I do feel for Leeds, and I feel for a lot of clubs that are copying it. Like, look at us. We plan all week to have Jordan Henderson play in the middle of the park, and then he, on the day of the game, tests positive, and he has to miss it up. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, Spurs have missed two, two games that they probably could have won. They'll get them rescheduled, and that was going to make their fixture life a lot harder down the track. But they walked into the Liverpool game, you know, fresh, which is a positive. And I, I, I'm with the Premier League to an extent that they should keep the games going. Do I think that this, you know, you could, 13 first team players and a regular goalkeeper is the way to go. Teams may look to exploit that. You know, like Leeds may turn around and say, oh, but these guys that are injured also have corona, so what does that mean, right? Um, I think it... Well, as long as they've got 13 available players and they should play, it's just a black and white rule. It's all that's going to happen. There's going to be no ifs or buts. Otherwise, you forfeit the game. That's how I look at it. Uh, Unless... Because you can't rearrange games. There's a point where... They've got a season to get through. They've got a World Cup next year. They've got to be prepared for. So if you can't put 13 out there across first team, youth team, whoever, then, you know, it's bad luck. Yeah, You're I missing hear, weeks. Yeah, I hear you. And um, I just hope that that is black and white. It's not going to be a grey area and you're going to start seeing teams go, hey, you know what, actually we can exploit the system here and, you know, maybe get a couple of weeks off, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So... It'd be an interesting one to watch. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side of City, looking unbelievable. They're not not, not even a sniff of COVID there. They've done really, really well. You look at Chelsea on the weekend, pouring rain, absolutely horrible conditions down there at yeah, Wolves. Yeah, so and, dreadful. You know, they had the field, like Kovacic coming back from a, a longish injury straight away with playing 90 minutes because of COVID. Who else had to play because of COVID? There was a few of the younger boys, I think, had to play there. And the bench was, you know... Not their normal bench. Well, the front three was like Pulisic, Zayic, and someone else. Yeah. It might have been Mount. But, yeah. you know, I, I looked at the team sheet and was kind of like, oh, there's a few names that aren't regulars on the team sheet for Chelsea. So, they again, you got to use your squad. And then we've obviously got the African Cup of Nations coming around, so they're going to miss Mendy. We're going to miss Salamane. Yep. So, you know, again, it's just... It's just curveballs that get thrown, and whoever deals with those curveballs the best, they're the ones that are going to benefit from this season. So Chelsea, that game for me just started really, really well. There was a lot of chances both ends of the pitch um, that could have made this game interesting, and then they sort of died off, and then I ended up turning it off and flicking over to Man City. But I don't think there was too much from this game that really um, caught my eye or caught the headlines either. So probably two points dropped for... Chelsea in a similar way that we probably look at a 2 all draw on paper against Spurs and look that we've both probably dropped two points over the weekend where City's managed to pick up three. Um, so I think in these times, though, both games away from home, you probably take a point yeah, in the end, given the circumstances. I agree. Um, I do think that the Chelsea game, City would be happy with a point here, considering the squad and how ravaged it was and the fact that, you know, Wolves start that game unbelievably well. Um, there's a moment in that game I want to talk about a little bit later because we're going to f- mention VAR quite heavily in, towards the end of our Premier League talk. Um, but there's just been a bit about Chelsea that you just think they've fallen off the boil as well before Omnicron crept up. You just 
Chelsea at the start of the year looked amazing. And we were talking about City actually not looking themselves and they really need a nine. Now City look unbelievable. And Chelsea just the previous weeks, injuries maybe, you know, Lukaku out for yeah, missing so many people they, from they their just, squad though. They just look like they're missing a beat. And I just... Yeah, but they're missing a lot of players though and they have been for a long time. Yeah. Like Lukaku, Werner, Havertz haven't played together really. Haven't seen much of Kante more recently as well. Like there's just, there's big elements of the squad that just aren't, Playing regularly together, which doesn't surprise me with the form for the form dip. Yeah. So I, I just think, I think that that's the big factor. Too much, you, too many injuries and disruption. A hundred percent. I think you can't write, write Chelsea off, but if they can't start finding some decent run of results, then they might be in a little bit of danger. And this is on the back end of what was meant to be a really good fixture run for Chelsea. Now I believe in their next few weeks, they got us, they got City, they got to think Leicester, which is not easy, and then they miss two games for the Club World Cup. So two match weeks, yep. and then that means they've got fixture run later in the season, and that could be a good thing because they might have all their players back. But imagine if this continues, where they're not getting their full team around them like we did last season, right? And there was just injury after injury. That fixture congestion is going to kill them come the back end. So my question here to you, Paul: If Chelsea drop a few more points, do we start saying it's more a two-horse race? Can we write Chelsea off, or do you think Chelsea will eventually come good again? No, I'm already starting to write them off, knowing. With what's to come, obviously, for them in particular, uh, especially with Champions League as well. I mean, I know they've got Lille, so you'd expect them to get through two legs with Lille, which means they're going to probably move on to a quarterfinal of the Champions League as well. We've still got domestic cups that Chelsea traditionally you know, do quite well in and go far in things like FA Cups and Carabao Cups. So, again, there's more fixtures there. I don't know whether they're still in the Carabao Cup. I think they are. Um, but... I think they're going to just have their eyes on too many prizes and I think the Premier League's the one that's going to fall away, I think. Um, I just don't think with extra fixture congestion post the Christmas period that they're going to be able to maintain the level that's required. Yeah, I agree. They are still in the Carrow Cup, by the way. They played Brentford on the 23rd of December. Yeah, so in two days' time. Yeah, and another you know game where they've got to... If I was them, I'd just play the kids. You know. Yeah, well, they've got to prioritise. They've got to start thinking, oh, what are we actually realistically going to go after this year? We Do we want to defend the Champions League? You probably do, as you know, the, as the previous winners. Yep. You want to probably go after the Premier League, obviously. So there's two major competitions. And then whether you want to have a cup run, do they target the FA Cup and then just bin off the Carabao? They're not going to win a quadruple. Yep. Something, something's got to give at that point. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's the direction that things go. Yeah, well, I already know that Klopp's going to pay all the kids. He historically does in the quarterfinals. We always do. Yeah, he usually... Yeah, Carabao Cup. Is that we pay the kids and if the kids get to the quarterfinal, they really play the kids in the quarterfinal because Klopp doesn't want the two-leg semi-final, which apparently the talk coming out of that meeting is a lot of Premier Premier League managers want the Carabao Cup just to become a one-leg semi-final. Which yeah, I, that'd be good. Just which, go to the lower reputation team, yeah. let them have host it, yeah. and then away you go. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really smart move. And, you know, you could get the, the odd championship club that make the semi-final out of nowhere and they host a semi. It would be nice. So Yeah, um, like almost like an FFA Cup style where it's, it doesn't matter what pot you're in, yeah. whoever the lower division team is, they get to host. Yeah. I just think that'd be I good for those nice. teams that have probably suffered financially a lot from COVID. There's a bit of incentive there for those clubs to do well in the especially in the Carabao Cup exactly. because the incentive to host a Man United or host at Arsenal or a City or a Liverpool would be massive so for their finances. I yeah. think that's really, really, really uh really a good idea if they end up going down that route the Carabao Cup. But you know, Chelsea two days later, what who can they actually play, who's available, who's fit? And they might have who to knows? play a fuller a bit more of a of a fuller strength side just because the injuries may dictate they can't really rotate too much. 
plus of Omnicron, where Liverpool... Or it might be very much kids. Yeah, we're like, Liverpool's are... We're missing, like, four key players. So it's Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, Van Dijk. I'm pretty sure it's out with, with, um, with COVID. Um, we've yeah. got probably the abundance of all the kids available, so we can rotate in our next game, the Cabaret Cup against Leicester. Not hey, credit, give Leicester a win. I want to see Leicester win it. Go ahead. All right, so um, I don't mind. But let's talk of the Liverpool game, Paul. What did you make of it? Um, I actually watched the majority of it in full, uh, surprisingly, because I just wasn't able to go to sleep. But for me, it was probably one of the best games I've watched for a very, very long time um, in the Premier League. It was just entertaining. There were chances everywhere. Spurs really, on another day, could have scored three or four 100%. to half time. They 100%. looked really, really good. Allison was fantastic. We had a bit of a makeshift defence with Kanate and Matip. I don't really know how much they've played together. I don't have the stats with me on that one. Week, but in the week before, I think together as well. While Ben Dark's been out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, for me, it looked like that they hadn't played heaps together. It looked there was just moments where we looked very square. Uh, through balls were just getting threaded. I thought Harry Winks actually played really, really well. Agreed. Uh, he was picking the ball up very deep and just pinging, looking for Sun and Kane in the channels, and they looked really, really dangerous. Deli Ali looked very, very good, um, in my opinion as well. Allison, you know, saves us of a big chance um, at two one, I reckon, for it to go two all yep. at that point. But then. I think I said this to you yesterday. I just didn't really know what he was thinking. Like, if for someone that did so well uh, for, you know, what was it, 75 minutes of the game, one that second goal's come about one moment exactly, and it just and it just ruined ruined it for, not for me, but ruined the performance for him slightly because he was actually the reason we were in the game and then just to, you know, air swipe at a ball and Sun was never missing that. He was literally running through um, to an open goal practically and just had to pass it into the net. But end of the day, I'd, I'd think a draw is a fair result on that game. We didn't really challenge Larice as much as I would have liked us to do. If I think that's a fair reflection. I think Trent has one volley that he probably needs to try and steer to a corner rather than trying to go near post with defenders in the way. But there's no other chances that really stick out in my mind where I go that's going to you know, bite us in the butt. Or other than the penalty, that's definitely a penalty for us yep. the, on, on Jota. That's the only really attacking moment where I've gone, yeah, we deserve something out of that. Everything else I didn't really feel we were fantastic with. I thought Mane was average. I thought Salah was very poor. Yep. Um, he just didn't even look interested, to be perfectly honest. He just was sort of floating around. He wasn't being any there was no directness with his runs or his movement or his you know even his passing was off so I think he just looked very very tired and just didn't give us much what were your thoughts um so I'm very similar to you and I feel a lot for Ali because I thought the only reason why we were in the game was him I thought he was one of his best games he's played for us until obviously the obvious moment there with Son break that down in a bit um, yep. I thought that the game was there for the taking, and it's a hallmark of a good side or a championship winning side. When you don't play well, you win. And that's probably the definition of if we stole a win there, we've literally stolen it because I thought Spurs were the better side. I want to actually speak a bit more about Spurs. Two weeks off, Conte's finally got to work with the players that are available to him and you know people that are fit, and you know he's obviously not played the last couple of games. 
it looked like a more of a Conte performance, hit a bit deeper, hit on the break. It was very noticeable. They were looking channels, yeah. and it worried us. And like, Spurs play like that, awesome, big tick. Second one, Dele Alli has been nowhere for Spurs. We know how good of a player he is. Look how much better he was. That little bit freer in the tennis role, yeah. bombing on, got licence to go. He looked great. And he was, looked like the Dele Alli of old. If he plays like that, week in, week out, he's going to be nailed on for Spurs, and he will be a fantasy Premier League asset for those that are thinking about fantasy Premier League, because I love throwing in fantasy stuff in there too. Um, but, you know, I just think that if that's the blueprint for what Conte's trying to build, Spurs will come good at some point and not go on a really yeah, good run. Yeah, I agree. Um, do I think they're good enough for top four? They have to play like that every single week. Um, I don't think Conte should be judged top four or not. Just let him build, let him get the players in that he needs. Um, but yeah. look, I thought it was really good. Credit to Harry Kane for scoring. Uh, but there's a notice, there's a noticeable thing that we have to talk about though in this game, and that is VAR. I feel like VAR played its part massively in this game. Before I continue, I'm going to say 100%, even though people think I'm a very biased Liverpool fan. Robertson's 100% is a red card on review. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. Right. You can't. That was bad. You can't swipe at a player really high, out of probably anger a little bit, you know, and get away with it in the modern day anymore. Back in the day, you could. Yeah. Um. So for me. It's a red. The fact Pultini doesn't send him off at this, you know, straight away probably shows how poor of a referee he is. But um, I think we need to have a chat. First things first, the penalty on Yotta. I know you and me both agree that it should be a penalty, but can you understand or give a reason to why he hasn't given it? No, well, it's, for me, it's no, it's a nailed-on penalty. There's no way, you know, he's literally taking a shot. And then gets bundled, like pushed over by Emerson Royale in the box. Like it's just, I'd love to hear the views of neutral supporters that you know aren't trying to wind it, you know Liverpool fans up. But it, I can't see a world where that's not a penalty. It's just the definition of obstruction and forcing contact that impacts the ability to score. Like he's literally in the motion of shooting and gets pushed in the back like he's playing AFL. Yeah, I agree. So like, I think it's an add-on penalty. So apparently what Paul Tyrini has told Klopp and Klopp said in his post-match interview is because Yotta has slowed down, he thus must, for him it means he's looking for contact for a pen. Two things for me as a referee at that level you should be asking yourself for. And, you know, people may say it's very easy to say that watching it in your comfort of your couch. I've done refereeing in the past. My old man's been a referee for over 20 years, and I'm actually seriously considering doing refereeing again next year and not playing and you know just taking up refereeing again because I enjoy doing it. For me, as a ref, my first thought when there's ever an incident in and around the box, you know, and say my old man tells me all the time when I referee and when I was learning to be a ref, is like, what do you think the player in question wants to have happen? So for me, put yourself in your shoes. Six yards out, Got of your side at goal. Is he a player looking for contact or is he a player looking to shoot, right, as a referee? Clearly, the obvious answer there is he's looking to shoot. So for me, is there an obvious reason for him then to go down? No. So for me, without any bar, no knowledge, straight away, if I was in State League 1 refereeing right now and I saw a player go down in that situation, in my mind, not a dive, in my mind, clearly been taken to the ground penalty every day, right? Just from the knowledge of what does a striker want to have happen here? Is he looking for contact? Is he overrun the ball sort of thing? No. Is he got? Is his shot going to be blocked so he's looking for contact? No. So for me, from that logical sense, if I can think like that, my old man who does State League 1 for the last 20 years can think like that. Why can't Paul Tyrini think like that? Firstly. Second yep. thing is, with the moment he tells Klopp that he has to slow down, that's looking for contact, I would love you to name a player in this world who does not slow down before setting himself to take a shot. Love to you to name If it. he's looking for contact, 
if he's looking for contact and goes down, then isn't that simulation then? Yeah. So then shouldn't Jota get a yellow card? Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't. Because he's gone over? He doesn't. So then... So they're just calling that play on. Yep. So there's there's a physical altercation yep. that's gone through the back of a player. So it can't be shoulder to shoulder. So then how like the, the, there's no explanation to why the play's not stopped because it's either a penalty or it's simulation. Yeah. Because why would Jota end up on the floor in the six yard box? So for me, it's just that's where the incompetency from Paul Tierney comes in because it's just. Well, he haven't managed that situation at all because the, you've got a player on the ground inside the penalty box that doesn't just happen because he's running at goal and he's got no one in front of him. So that means the contact has to come from the side or from behind. So you're saying it's either shoulder to shoulder or it's simulation or it's a foul. Yeah. So regardless of the regardless of the outcome, play needs to be stopped, which it didn't, which it didn't happen. No, it so didn't. he's called play on, but I don't understand where play on comes into effect I, there. I agree. And look, for me, it's a clear-cut pen. I don't even understand how he has not given it at a Premier League level, how you do not see that in that position that he was because he was in a good refereeing position to see the whole incident, that he's not given it. The only thing I can think is he thinks it's like shoulder-to-shoulder and he wants play on. Uh, now, but he can't. He, it's not shoulder to shoulder though, because it's just he's literally just ran from behind him and yeah, just pushed him with two I, hands. I, I, that's I can't defend him. I can't defend a referee. And I, I'm, but this is an issue that we've seen for a long time in the Premier League yeah. of the last four or five years. Yeah. Is we've come back to this conversation all the time of the the quality of the refereeing isn't good enough. And at major tournaments, there's no representation of English referees yeah. for this reason exactly. because they constantly get it wrong at the highest level. So, you know, there's a bigger issue. How how can the Premier League incentivize ex-players, because that's what needs to happen, how can they incentivize ex-players to be referees? So I think it's a good pathway out of football if they're not going to go into media or into their own stuff like Ben Foster's going to do. Yeah. But how do you get more ex- ex-pros in? Maybe there's got to be some form of incentive or you know they've got to be making X amount of money to make it valuable. But I think you know if they get a better product through their referees, then you know, you're going to end up making more money. So spend more money to make more money because the product's better. Your referees end up refing at better you know levels. It's a win-win for everybody. Uh, better product for the viewer, better product for players. I agree. I think it's hard getting former players to then referee after they've retired because I feel like they're just their body's gone. Um, but what I would like to see yeah. is like, you know, people like, um, oh, what's his name from Spurs that became a manager? Ryan um, Mason. Mason. People like that. Injured, can't play Premier, can't play Premier League football anymore. Yeah, go out early. You know, go out early in their 20s. That's where the Premier League should be like, mate, you'd be a great referee. You've played at the game. you play played at a level. Off you go. You'd be able to understand the game really well. That's the sort of guy you target if you're the federation to go. Hey, you should be, you know, refereeing because yeah, be consider good, this. Consider this pathway now. Not saying that every player is going to then go. Oh yeah, the refereeing's great. Some players just want to relax. Sometimes it's a leg injury, so they can't really run at full speed. But what needs to be done for the current referees is some training from ex-players to understand in certain situations what is going on. Because for a Premier League yeah. referee to then tell Klopp that he's slowing down looking for contact because he's expecting a striker at full tilt to then, you know, transfer body weight and shoot is ridiculous. You know, the only time you ever see a player run at full tilt was the ball's bouncing, it's been cleared and they hit it first time or something like that, right? Uh, every player in a one-on-one sets himself, slows down and sets himself. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm flabbergasted to why Paul Tarini didn't get it. Then we get to VAR. And VAR has this rule where they say the force has to be of a of a, enough intent so that they bowled over a person. So for me, right, um, we've got a player that's been clipped in the penalty box. 
clicked is a different word to being bundled over. Yota has been bundled over. They're saying that any lower body contact that is not of sufficient enough contact, they're gonna just bars gonna wash their hands of it and just whatever referee says, right? Yeah. But there has to be an extent of how do you measure force, and you can't measure force. That's my next point as well. When we nah. get a Harry Kane, you have to look at the situation. You know, if it's Raheem Sterling, he comes inside the box and there's a little, 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 little nibble as a guy's pulled out of attack when he throws himself to the floor, you know, that's probably not a penalty. If the referee gives it, then you could probably get the referee to go have a look at it. And he can stay with his decision then still if he still thinks it's a pen. But for them not to even intervene, when Yota's been absolutely, yeah. you know, he's been mauled in the box. Pushed over. Yeah, he's just been yeah. showing the floor. You know, it, it, it just smells a bit... It's not funny in terms of like, oh, they have something against Liverpool. But yeah, fun- the fact that the, it wasn't checked. The funny in terms of why is that one not checked yet? We see a lot of others get checked. You know, yeah. where's the consistency? I'd love to hear the communication. And that's, that's the, the big one. I would I, love the well, love like BT. That's why I love or, cricket. Yeah, because you get the. That's hear. why I love cricket. Yeah, yeah, you hear it all. Yeah, you hear ground, everything. You hear it. It's so nice. You know, if you're watching yeah. live or if you're watching at um, uh, what's a what, on TV? TV, you get that talk between the third umpire and the director and the on-field umpire. Where yeah. I reckon Premier League need to take a step out of that and just go, hey, you know, let them hear that talk. Let the let the comms or the fourth because it'll expose it, it'll expose the referees that do it properly and those that don't yeah. and that's what we need we, that's that's the point that we're trying to make is if those conversations that they're having are just what do you think nah it's all good all right cool then that's going to create issues for debate which is good because there's clearly an issue if you're hearing the conversation of is it excessive force is it this is it that then you can kind of as a fan go all right well they've considered this and that but they didn't consider this or this so then it's you know you can create you can have that education or you can talk about maybe in that situation next time, you know, consider, you know, is he being, you know, is he running at, you know, 70%? And if you get, you know, a nudge of this amount of force at that, you know, speed, then it's going to create this reaction. So I think having those conversations around the decision-making is only going to better the product of the Premier League. I think so too. And I think it's an element of just like, you know, as a viewer, you want to know what the Premier League's talking about, sorry, the referee's talking about in that moment, don't you? You want to know yeah, what's being said 100%. and they're at the monitor exactly. And I think that's something they should really look at. Uh, I just yeah. would love to know what the reason was they didn't go to VAR this time. I can only speculate that they've said, oh, there's an incident. And Tyrone, he said, well, I've seen the incident. This is what I've seen. And VAR's got, okay, not enough force. No need to check, right? But yeah. um, for me, I don't like the there's enough force rule because how do you determine force? I think that's something that you have to stop and watch every incident like that, and then you can say, "Oh, that's minimal contact because there's barely any contact." To that's contact, right? Yeah. And that's not measuring in force. It's measuring just in an amount of contact. It's probably a better way than using the word force because if you're measuring force, I could do a full, massive, big boot swing, but just clip your shin. Well, technically speaking, I've looked to line you up, but I've clipped your shin. Is that forceful enough to bring you down? Well, yeah, because it's going to yeah. hurt. But they will deem that as well. But there's minimal contact, so that's minimal force. So, you know, okay, yeah, yeah like, I feel like we need to start looking at the type of contact, the type of challenge more than the amount of force put onto that challenge, right? Yeah, and I agree. I think that that very much in the situation, the other decision is there. And then we get to the Harry Kane situation. And exactly like I said, we shouldn't be looking at the amount of contact or how high it is. We should be it's looking the at the intent of the challenge. And now look, Harry Kane, he said he thought he won the ball, which means just get... Get some glasses on, buddy, because you haven't, right? Yeah, it's a red card all day. I cannot fathom that this wasn't even checked because I've seen challenges yeah. worse than this in the Premier League. That well, the fact that Robbo's gets checked yeah. and Kane's doesn't is so surprising because they're, 
of different natures. And I know that the first one's on Rob, uh, the Kane one's on Robbo, but you see a player go sliding in and a player is physically launched over him. I'm checking that just to check anyway. Like, have I missed something? Like, how's the, you know, third official or the VARB referee not saying, oi, this doesn't look great. Have a look. And the only thing you can mention is Kane's foot is sideways, not up, you know, not vertical. If it was vertical, then, it was vertical. you know, there'd be no... Uh, I think it was it was what well, was angled. It wasn't like straight. the 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 foot that went through wasn't like showing every single stud. I'm I not saying it, was it wasn't stud. raised. Oh, I think that was. It right. was showing studs, but it wasn't like your traditional double footer. I'm stomping on you. It was kind of angled slightly, but it, I'm not defending it. But it was just, yeah. Again, I'm watching that live. All I see is Kane go flying in and I see Robbo go flying over the ball and, you know, the ball go the other direction. It's kind of like, well, it doesn't look good. And then on the replay, it was funny because the commentary was saying, no, nah, that's just a good challenge. And then as soon as they saw the replay, they're like, oh, no, he's missed the ball completely. Yeah. And VAR should be looking at that incident and just going, oh, yeah, bang, you know. And it's just quick game yeah. flow on and like they can play a free kick and all VAR has to do is check one incident whilst he books him for a yellow card or, you know, whatever. And then you go, hang on a second, watch this. You know, that's all the conversation needs to be. For me, we have to just set up what happened prior. So Kane's just scored, he's up, he's about, energy's flowing. And for me, it's a challenge of a rush of blood. It's one of those ones that he wants to win the ball, he's trying to win the ball, and then he's just launched him from far away, and then he's realised he's in trouble, right? The only thing that saves him is that Robbo flicks the ball into him. And the second thing that saves him is Robbo's foot isn't planted. Now, you're telling me that if his foot's planted, he breaks his leg, that that's a red, but the fact that he's trying to hurdle it and he gets taken that that's not even you know looked at i don't think yet again we have to look at the amount of contact to where the contact is the reason they haven't checked it is they've got this height rule that wasn't high it was right above the shoe it shouldn't be about where the height is same way it shouldn't be about the amount of force it is it should be about the type of challenge he's launched in yeah. he hasn't won the ball his studs are showing and it's high-ish it's not high but it's high-ish it's above the boot for me, it's, yeah, it's just dangerous. It's, dangerous. Though, it's, it's a dangerous challenge. If his foot's planted, it's broken. So for me, we shouldn't be looking at the amount of force. If he's in the air, if he's not, is his foot planted? Is he not? The the lucky thing for Kane is Robbo. He's on the floor because it hurts, but he's not yelling in pain. And we're not the type of side to run to a referee that go hang on. Yep. But if that city, right, I'm telling you right now, if that city and that's Rodri, Cancelo, probably some of the Spanish boys. Um, you know, yeah, they're surrounding the, the ref that, the way that Spurs did yeah, to Robbo. Yeah, like they're going straight away to the referee, going, "Hang on, mate, you know, you've got to have a look at this." You know, and that shouldn't be how yeah, it's decided. That, pressure on. that shouldn't be how it's decided. It should be what's the type of challenge, what's the situation, what's caused the challenge, and they would have said, "Oh, right, Russia blood just scored, launched him from a certain far way back." The type of challenge is dangerous because studs are showing he's caught him above his boot. Has he won any of the ball? No. The only reason he wins anything of the ball is because Robert flicks it into his arm. Is that a challenge yeah. that's winning the ball? Well, no, because he's trying to win the ball with the with his feet. So, yeah, pretty weird, pretty interesting. I would have given it a red. Um, I'm yeah, surprised same. it wasn't watched back on VAR. And it just highlights that they've got VAR a bit better this year, but they haven't got it perfect, and there's definitely places that it needs to get a bit better. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Alrighty, so from our wrap-up of the Premier League, we've had some other big sports go on recently, haven't we, as well, Dame? Yes, we have. Australia go two to the good against 
England in the Ashes, and uh, where do we start? England just. We said I said it last week. Runs, yes. Runs is the problem, and runs once again was the problem. They just cannot figure out how to make runs here in Australia. It's just got to a point where it's kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. Like, just they cannot get three or four batsmen in one innings. Like, it's just you know you can't expect to make two fifties and think that it's going to get. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what they're expecting, but it's just. It's at a point where they can only get to 250, 300 at a stretch, and then we're making 450 and declaring because they can't get us out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think this series is done. I said at the start that it was going to be a whitewash, um, and that you know unless we start resting people, which it looks like we are, I just don't see how England are going to win this. Considering we had half a B team attack here, and Jaya got himself five wickets in the second innings. So we're not, we're not even playing with no Hazelwood or Cummings. Yeah, and I, I agree. For me, it's England's lack of ability to make runs. Because I think their bowling tactic is okay on its day. I rate Ollie Robertson. The fact that he can land a, a, a off, you know, a part-time offie better than Leach probably show you the issue they really have. The fact they can't find a spinner. Um, and then they've got, you know, Anderson and Broad. I don't mind it. I think yeah. Wood's good. Obviously, he can't play every game because of the stress on his body about 150 Ks. But I feel like their bowling attack isn't bad. Their bowling attack, especially in England, is unreal. And it's yeah. not bad here. I feel like their bowlers do get one fundamental thing wrong, and they've said it a lot in the coverage. They just don't bowl Too at full. Short. When they get at full, they're very yeah, but that's hard. surprising, though. Yeah, I think. That's surprising coming from England, though, because in England, you pitch it up at swings, and maybe there's a stigma around playing in Australia. Maybe they think... You have to bang it in because it doesn't swing as much. But you see it when Jai Richardson bowls or when Stark bowls with a new ball. They get it, you know, hooping around. They get it moving. Hazelwood gets it moving. So I think they've just got it wrong, especially in Adelaide. They just, you know, really just didn't set themselves up. They allowed our batsmen to get in because he's banging it in. They're just flicking it off their off their hips and they're pushing it through point yep. and giving off easy runs yep. and giving our batsmen starts that they don't need. Exactly. I just think they need to get the ball up there a bit more. They also got to hold their catches yeah, and they, not bowl 18 no balls. Yeah, that's true too. They, they haven't been great. Like, let's be honest. England haven't been great and they've been in a class by a better cricketing side. But if I was England, the first thing is it'll be pitching it up a little bit more. The bowling attack's not bad. They have to back a spinner. For me, you can't win in Australia without a good spinner. They don't yeah. have one. They've brought Best over. He's not great. He can't land the ball. And Leach is Leach. They'll hit him out. Well, the fact back. that they didn't bring him in the team yeah. shows you where he's at yeah. as well. Like, I've never seen him bowl, but the fact that you're dropping a spinner and not bringing one in shows you what their thoughts are of, of him. So for me, this is where it's concerning. For me, their best spinner is Joe Root. He actually bowled well, I think, Joe. Yeah, you just can't keep bowling 20 overs in innings and then expect him to make 100 as well yeah. or need him to make 100 Yeah, because this isn't going to happen. Yeah. It's only going to give. Yeah, exactly. So they need to find a spinner. I don't think they've changed too much in terms of their attack uh, for Melbourne, obviously, in the Boxing Day Test match. But for me, it's the batting. And there's an obvious, obvious concern. It's the top order. And both openers look like they are very susceptible to just nicking yeah. off. They don't leave yep. well. Look at Labashane. He knows when to leave it. He knows when to... Look, he got LEW leaving. He knows what's happening. But, he, you know, that one there yep. stayed down. He knows how to leave off length. And in Australia, you learn to leave off a length. You know, if you know that it's going to be bouncing, you just leave the ones that are short because you know it's going to bounce over the stumps anyhow. 
does look a little bit weird, but in Australia, that's what you do. And that's how you don't get start getting caught behind. When you're Joe Burns and you're moving when the ball's still bowled, which is a big no-no. Rory, Rory Burns. Rory Burns, Joe Burns, they're both the same. They're both not good openers. So Rory Burns. Um, if you're still moving, you're prone to just stick in the bat there because you're moving, you're feeling for it. Yeah, but his head's moving, his body's moving, like everything's moving and, and that's an technique. issue. Like you don't know where anything is. But I, yeah, but I think that just comes from him just being so out of form. Like... I just think he's just struggling that much that he's thinking about he's thinking about four or five different things and it's in his head and he doesn't want to take first ball. He wants to take first ball. I think there's just too much. He needs a time. He needs time away. He needs to, honestly. He needs, he needs to go back and make runs at county level exactly. and give it a crack again. I don't know who they've got yeah. on the tour, but they need to drop him. Um, and then Milan and Rui obviously are in form. Stokes is stoked, but I don't. What about Johnny Bairstow uh, as a batsman? Yeah, I don't think he's playing. I don't as a mind batsman. him. I don't think he's playing as a batsman, but I think he does. There's a case of drop Butler. I don't think I would drop Butler. He can make runs. But has made runs in Australia before, though. Yeah. You know, as a specialist batsman, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But they need runs, so may as well try it. Like they need look, they need to win this series, they need to win three straight games. They may as well try what they can, right? Uh, I think the bigger issue is yeah, the opener though, because you look threes Milan who's made runs, fours root, five stokes, so Who's coming? I can't even remember. Who's coming in six? Is that oh Pope? Ollie Pope. Who I've really seen much of him. Ha, he's made run in South Africa, which is similar conditions. He's played grade cricket in Australia, in Sydney grade cricket, which is really good level, right? That's just a feeder in New South Wales, and he made runs there. So I understand why they're playing him, but he doesn't look like he's just there yet. He's the sort of guy yeah. that I don't mind if they persist with him. I can understand he's a young kid, and it will it will happen one day where he will just come and he will be good. I don't mind that one so much, but. It's come to a stage where they have to look at it like, are they going to win the Ashes here? Yeah or no? The answer is probably no. Maybe it's time to start bleeding in some people that will probably be around in four years' time as well. But it depends who they brought on the tour. and I'm not so sure how many players they brought. That's maybe what they're thinking about the two openers, though. Maybe they're just thinking we just have to wear it this series and and back that they're going to be the guys that come back. I wouldn't wouldn't be with Burns, man. He's always had this big trigger across and it's been getting him into a lot of trouble. This is a guy that's been dismissed, I think, now 11 times after this test in the first over of a test match. If you're an opener and you're getting dismissed 11 times in the first over over of of a test match... Yeah, you're not good enough for test it's match not cricket. For you. you know, you know, go away from the game, work out on something, learn how to leave a ball, which is kind of a big thing as an opener, and off you go. You know, or you know, I, I, I understand he's probably making runs at county level, but it's a problem. Well, we've got the same issue with Harris yeah. as well. So you know, yeah. Regardless, he's the only we both have an opener that's struggling. Yeah. He's the only change I would make for Boxing Day. They won't do it. They'll keep Harris, but it's the only change I would make. But um. Yeah, I just feel like if they're going to win it, they've got to really shake up their squad. They're going to have to make a decision what bowlers they want to go with. They don't want to bring a spinner back in for Melbourne, which, look, I think you have to. But their batting attack is just horrid, and they need runs, and they need people to come in and make runs. If they have younger kids in the squad, for the sake of giving them experience, yeah. this is the time to give it to them. Just just play, you know. Just live, throw it away live, almost. Live by the sword, die by the sword. If the kids do well, great. If they don't, you know, we played the kids for a reason. It was the it. same with um, what was his name, the Indian bowler who came in third choice, maybe that, and yeah, yeah and he just came in and became by the end of it was the number one, I, their number one bowler, the guy with the man bun. Yeah, I can't remember his name now. I know yeah. exactly who you're on about. Last year is because they had yeah. injuries and then bang, and he was unreal. Yeah, they lost Muhammad Shami yeah. and someone else, and then he just came in and just became the number one and bowler spinner, by the end of the series. Spinner, it was man, unreal. The spinner they brought in made runs too. And he was their third choice spinner. Yeah. yeah so maybe that's sometimes just what you need. You just need that that raw energy where it's just 
you know, for batting is a bit different, obviously, but you know, you just need someone that comes in fresh mindset, no pressure, just can come in, just enjoy it for what it is, because they're grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. You know, you might be able to jag a fifty or a sixty or a seventy out of someone like that. And I think that their technique could be better than Rory of Rory Burns. So for me, I mean, it can't get much worse than his, to be uh, honest. So look, I'm someone you can you can attest to this, Paul. I'm someone that moves around a lot before the Bulls bowled when I bat. You know, yep. I'm, I, for those that haven't seen me bat, I'm very much similar to Steve Smith. I've been like that since a junior. But on off stump, get outside the line on off stump, so I know where my off stump is so I can leave, because I always used to get caught sneaking off in juniors. Now the main way I would have dismissed them now that I've been doing that since the under 14s is usually LBW when I miss a one that's straight like Smith, or um, I'd probably still sneak off anyway, but that's me trying to like straight drive instead of trying to hit through covers. Um, but I know when I'm in form, I'm standing still when I bat. And then I, mean, I know when I'm out of form, I'm moving like Burns is. And like this year, I started with like 3, 11, 2, and 4 this season. And I, we umpire ourselves, and a lot of the guys umpire us say, Damien, you're getting caught on the move. And then the two, my last two innings, I made a 64 and a 54. And both of them, they've been saying, well, every time before the Bulls bowled, you're set. Your movement's early. Burns needs to go back and just do work on being stable and set. But what you would probably yeah. get from a youngster is a bit more of a, a, a traditional technique, or secondly, someone's technique that is short up enough that they're not moving when it's bold. And I feel like that's a better problem for England to have having a youngster come in and maybe, you know, practice and under fire doesn't go well. But someone that has a technique you can build upon where I think Burns is too set in his way. It might be because of form, but every time we've seen Burns play in previous series, this, that, whatever, he's always been a guy that likes to move as the ball's bold, and I've never been a fan of that. So I think like his time's done. If I was yeah, I agree. looking at Melbourne, I would be dropping him. If I was England, I'd be looking for runs, and if I was them, they don't really have a spinner. So do what you want, England. Um, I think Yeah, he's going to struggle. It's just, yeah, they're, they're, look, at the end of the day... It's done. At the end of the day... The series is done. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're going to win the Ashes, which is great. Um, and... England are just not a good enough test side at the minute to compete. Yeah, they're not there at the moment, away from home. Yeah. yeah. I think that there is definitely a base for them to build upon those. not all doom and gloom. You've got Root, who's good. Milan knows what he's doing. Stokes can play for a longer while as well. I think Ollie Robertson's an absolute gem of a bowler when he gets it going as well. And there's life after Anderson abroad with Ollie, Ollie, Roberts, Ollie Robertson and Wood. Wokes can actually yeah. bat. I like the look of Wokes. Yeah, he looked good yesterday. Yeah, so, yeah, and look, I just think... It is what it is. There's one thing I wish England do in Melbourne, and it might be a little bit, you know, whatever. They looked more comfortable batting yesterday trying to save a test match than they did looking to just play normally. So for me, I think the big thing for England is put in a definite plan just to bat time. If they win the toss, bat the first day. I don't even care if you're 5 for 180 at the end of the day. You've got through a day. Yeah, but dig in. Yeah, just yeah. dig in and be, you know, thing. For me, if they have two openers that said, all right, it doesn't matter for 25 balls off 200 runs, but if we're, none down, past to, lunch. we're none down for 40 at lunch and then the conditions get better, I know that's a very old school way of playing, like Bill Laurie-esque, you know, don't make 60 in a day sort of thing. But if they could just dig their heels in, Australia will eventually get frustrated. It will become easier. And then you can start picking yeah. offline and that. You know, when Stokes comes in a little bit later on, Root's not exposed to the new ball. Even if it's Root, that, that one down, that, you know, hunkers in a little bit. You know, or Milan, or you know, if those boys bat a time. If you're getting if you're getting Stokes in, instead of like in the first session, in like the later stage of session two, early start of the he last session, off. he can bat and tee off. And all of a sudden, you're four down for 130 at like 60 over mark. At the end of the day's play, you're probably five or six down for two something, and you're not out the test match if you get bowled out for 200. Yeah, the test match when you get bowled yeah. out for 140. Yeah, exactly. So I think England need to look at that last innings in, in, in Adelaide and go, well, actually, if we battle like that in the first innings, we can bat time, 
puts us in a position where we're not gonna, you know, we can, you know, if we have to bat for a draw later in the day, later in the in the test, we've actually in this test, we've actually batted enough time that we can bat for a draw later. But the second thing is, we're not gonna be out of it. You know, we're always gonna be. 150, 180, maybe four or five down. All he needs one partnership, and you're getting to 250 plus. You're not going to lose a test match like that. I know it's easier said than done. Yeah. And Australia's attack is really good. And you know, if you get bogged down, you know, yeah, they probably didn't. Yesterday, they didn't look for runs. Me and you were there, right? They didn't look for runs, right? But there was enough about them that they probably could have made 20 to 30 more runs than what they did. That they said no because they wanted yeah. to Butler on strike. But if they bat time, you're going to make runs batting time. They just need to go yeah, there. Yeah, you and just, pick off those easy right, runs. They need to literally say that if we're none for 30 after 30 overs, I know it's one runner over, it's going to be the most boring thing. You've just nullified the new ball first day in Melbourne. Thank you. Now let's yeah. bat some time. Like Be really, really bat time. Lamar's love in second innings was, you know, he made, what, 200 balls or something like that? You know, for his yeah, absolutely. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with that sometimes just getting, batting some time. It puts you in a position where at least you're out there still. The ball's going to get a bit easier to hit. You're you're there. If you get out trying to, you know, feel for the ball or, you know, playing a stroke that you shouldn't have or, you know, trying to play that little nibbly little push outside off stump, you're out. You can't do nothing about it. So, yeah, I am I am definitely, definitely, definitely think there's definitely some positives and something that England can think about in Adelaide, which they've done well and work upon. But they do need to bring in some big amount of players. I think the last question we have yeah. to talk about cricket wise is Hazelwood looks like he's out for Melbourne. So for me, it's a question of does Nisa or Dry keep their spot? And would is, if Cummins comes in, is there someone else you would drop to keep those two in the squad? I mean, they both they both deserve to stay in the team. Honestly, yeah. um, it sounds like Stark's going to be rested. I've seen a little thing. Apparently, Scott Bolland's been added to the squad. Um, that's from Wide World of Sport a couple of hours ago. So it's interesting. So I feel like there's going to be changes had. I don't think Cummings plays straight away because he's just had a week of nothing. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's rested, but out of quarantine, he's allowed to train. So I sort of see a situation where Stark might get rested, but they might honestly go with a new attack with Lyon and then Richardson, Nessa and whether it's Bolland or someone else, I don't know. I don't know, know what do. I think though, those guys probably deserve a break anyway. Um, it's always a boxing day you don't want to miss out on, but I think for the the longevity of the, of the summer, I think it would be important for, for those guys to have a rest up. Maybe not all three at once. Maybe if Hazelwood's fit, he comes in and then two, and then Giant uh, and Nisa stay. I think that might be the, the best way forward, but I, I wouldn't, change it if I don't have to because I think they deserve another another crack. Yeah, I think they do too, especially Dry Richardson. If Hazelwood misses the art, as much as I think Nice is the replacement for Hazelwood, Richardson has to keep his spot. I think there's almost a case, look, Stark's been bowling better than what I think we expected because he's been out of form. I still don't think he's bowling at 100%. I think there comes a time where you probably try the attack without Stark in it. And like that's Dry playing yeah. that role of being the enforcer really quick, can swing the ball both ways sort of guy. And then you're obviously playing Nisa, Hazelwood, and Cummins. I wouldn't mind seeing that yeah. attack get a go at some stage. If that's like test number five in Hobart or test four, for instance, or whatever. Once the series is wrapped up, so be it. Um, but I think this is not a bad little series for Australia. Yeah, once we won the Ashes to maybe give a couple guys a go. Um, this is why they... This is why they're going to keep Harris because we can, we're going to win the Ashes with Harris batting. This is where I would love to give a, a, a another opener a shot, someone else or to go, or make sure another yeah. chance of redemption because I never thought he should have been dropped. 
Um, you know, someone like that go at the top of the order because we can probably afford to. So, yeah, yeah it be interesting. Anyhow, I think that's enough cricket talk, Paul. And if you want to watch more cricket talk, Paul, you're releasing some content about this, aren't you? Yeah, that'll be out just before the next podcast comes out. So we're a bit of a distance away from that still, but that should be out. Um, obviously not when you're listening to this, unless you're listening to it really late after it comes out. But yeah, stay around on the YouTubes to see some of the, the stuff that we got to see at the cricket yesterday. Exactly, exactly, exactly. All right. I reckon it's time to move on to a few questions that we've got. So before we move into them, remember guys, make sure you join the Discord um, to make sure that you can continue to add to the questions. But, First one from JS. Who has the most underrated academy in football as a team? So this is an interesting one because you sort of have the same few names get mentioned all the time. So whether it's Southampton, whether it's Ajax, uh, they're the two sort of standouts really, aren't they? They're the the pinnacle of of, um, youth team setups. Where do you see more players often than not? Oh, in Barcelona, obviously, too. out of those three, who else is around that mark, do you think? I don't know about around that mark. Teams that I get talked about enough is a few of the other Premier League sides, I think, because, you know, like West Ham historically have had a very good youth set up. Um, yeah, I think I've struggled lately, though. I have though. struggled lately. I'm trying to think of, like, more relatively newer ones. Chelsea, but theirs is for different reasons. Yeah. They, they, their scouting, good. That, that's where I think Chelsea is underrated. They get the kids in. They, they bring the best kids in. So they get a lot of it right. So even like a Mill Smith Rowe, he was a product of Chelsea's youth setup. Um, it's just, and they just have this ability to wire the world to just get the best guys in. And that funds a lot of the other transfers because they're obviously selling guys on that. You know, even like Livramento, Chelsea Academy, Tariq Lamptey, Chelsea Academy, they're never going to play ahead of Reese James. Yeah. You know, like it's just, that's just how it is. So they've had two. Premier League quality right backs in two years come out of their academy, but they just can't fit them in the squad. Nah. So that's just one example. Trevor Chalaber again, uh, you know, took some injuries and some player sales like David Luiz and whatever to create space, but they were prepared to do that because they saw the potential in him. So there's just so many examples of just players coming through their academy, but then you get guys like Mason Mount, who, you know, it takes time for them to go away. You know, lucky enough, had a, a stint with the Frank Lampard, then comes back in dominates um, Tammy Abraham you know I think Chelsea's really is the the, the peak of because they're able to nurture home talent but they're also good enough to go find the the kids abroad and bring them into I, I agree with that I think theirs is different from what I think the question's aimed at like, they're, they're trying to think who has the kids that come through from the younger levels all the way through it still counts as their academy yeah, but though. for me that's the thing that's modern day football it's not like old school days where you just you got picked up by a scout them, and there you go yeah it's now your local team or a couple of hours away at max. It's now these youth scouts that just go around and go, oh, there's this 14 year old kid in Italy, is for Chelsea, should maybe bring him in? Or, you know, there's this kid down at West Brom that we should bring across and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It, it makes a bigger difference. It gives a different dimension, dimension to youth academy football and who does the best. I feel like Chelsea's in that regard is probably the best in the Prem. I feel like then Everton yeah. and Liverpool probably do enough to bring in their own talent from Merseyside. Probably Everton a little bit more than Liverpool at the minute, just because of how hard Liverpool is to bring you know bring players through because of how good our yeah. first team is. But yet again, it's a different type of academy. They just focus on like what's around them. We don't go and really. Well, Elliot was yeah, from Fulham. Yeah. You know, like that's one example where we've gone and pinched 
from somewhere else. And I'm sure there's other examples that we've gone and grabbed guys that are playing for us from other academies too. I don't think everyone that's playing for Liverpool's yeah. oh, will come straight through our teams. I think, but I think then, again, this is how it is now. Yeah, and then you've got to think about what like traditional academies are around that are still bringing through talent. And like, it, it may sound very generic, but Barcelona for many a year have always had very good and youth still. coming through and still do. I know they're in shambles at the minute, but they're still producing good amount of talent that they've nurtured through um, the uh, you know the system that Cruyff set up many, many years ago. And they never get mentioned in this talk because they're such a powerhouse, but you've got to look at the players that have come through there that are, you know, that are, are playing for them or have moved on like Mariba, you've got Pedri. These are guys that have come through their academy. They never get the mention, I feel. Yeah, aren't too fatty. Yeah, they never get the mention, though. They always just like, it's all about Ajax and the young players that they play. It's because it's an, expect- it's cause it's an expectation, yeah. I think, at Barcelona because the club's so big that they, they should expect to have you know that level of production. Yeah. But then you compare it to like Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, they're not producing anyone to the, the same levels as Barcelona. You know, they're just picking up people from you know South America or in Real Madrid's case anywhere but Atletico Madrid they're not producing their own talent per se they're you know they're that middleman between small club to monster size mega club they're just their scouting of that let's be that bridge is fantastic you know the the guys that they bring in traditionally are from you know Argentina or Brazil or whatever those guys they bring in just kick on and do really well but they're not you know, producing their own kids yeah, per se. I agree. I agree totally. I just think that it's a bit weird probably to compare the Spanish clubs to how they go about it with the English Premier League clubs. But I feel like in Spain, they get it the best. Um, they get it the right way. Sorry, there's um, Barcelona. So I think that they're worth a mention in Spain. I'm trying to think, is there any lower like level club that does it really well? And it struggles a spring uh, to mind that, like, you know... No one jumps nah, out. So, oh, I think it's all much of a muchness. It's, you know, you look at, what, Birmingham City, you know, they get Jude Bellingham. Yeah. It's because of location proximity. It's more shocking that no big team were able to come in for him or was he that that heart strung or that wanting that passionate about Birmingham that he didn't want to leave. You know what I mean? Like, surely someone's seen him at some point and gone... Let's go nab him. Let's go grab him. Even if it's an Aston Villa or one of those Midlands clubs, you know, West Brom might have been in the Premier League at the time. But, you know, he's probably the the, the latest high-profile player to come out of a lower division, you know, getting bought by Dortmund from Birmingham who are in the championship for whatever it was. Yep. And with the hype, I think he's probably the standout. But that, that's got nothing to say on Birmingham's youth setup. I'm sure it's fine. But, you know, they're not producing a Jude Bellingham every three years either. It's, I think it's just a point where those players just get picked up at such a young age by the big clubs that, you know, those smaller clubs miss out per se. It's not, you know, I'm not saying it's fair, but that's what football is. You know, they, as a kid or as a parent, if you see, if you have Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, they're knocking at your door saying, come to our academy. We've got these coaches and these facilities or Man City even. Sorry, I forgot to completely mention them or Chelsea. Of course, you're not going to knock them back because for parents who might be work from working class backgrounds, they're going to see the big club, they're going to see the potential of the coaching and the the level of professionalism. They're going to say, "Well, I want the best for my kid." Not every, obviously, not every kid makes it, and probably not many from those clubs actually go on to make it. But you're talking about hedging your bets. You're probably hedging your bets with one of the big dogs in the Premier League, especially if you're English. Because that might give you that you know slim hope that I'm going to be a professional and I'm going to make make bank. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that is true. And they always look to make bank, won't they, as well? Yeah. Young so I think I kind of went off topic there yeah, a little no, bit, no, but it's fine. I think, I think it's it's worth, it kind of... It's worth having that chat in this sort of question yeah. about how it all works. So, yeah. I, 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 do you want to take us away? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, there's one last question. Do you want, do you want to know what... Do you want to take us away with the last yeah, one? What, yeah, what was going on in the UCL round of 16 draw? Uh, you want to know what was going on, lads? They got a draw that didn't want the half to happen. And then they put Man United in that pot just to get a redraw, but I don't know what one it would have been. I'm just, I'm just trying no, to save you away from just corrupt and they just. They, like, it's one of those ones where it's the first time that I can really remember of their like for ages, yeah. if not ever, where they've actually made a mistake. I think that's just human error. I just think someone's made a big balls up and someone's probably lost a job over it. To be honest, yeah. um, but you know, shit happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like whatever. You know, I just thought end of the day. I just thought it was funny, and I was just like, it, it, you know, there's always all of these uh, people out there. Like, oh, the balls ring, so they know that's the ball they need to pick, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and all that sort of jazz. And I'm like, look, it's at the end of the day, it's balls in a glass that is like picked out to decide who you play. Yeah. So for me, I'm not one that's going to say that it, you know there was an obvious, you know, not there was an obvious, yeah. you know. The cheating. cheating way to pick United to like change the draw or get a redraw, etc. I think it was just human error. Some put the wrong ball in the wrong spot, and you know it happened. At least it got found out. At least the whole draw wasn't out, etc. And you know if you're a Chelsea fan, for you're two che- days, yeah, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're, you're cheering, aren't you? So he's still got Lil. Yeah, I'd love to know the percentages of you know what what's the likely the likelihood of getting Lil twice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that'd be so low because there's so many, because there's so many combinations of fixtures that can happen. Yeah. I think that was hilarious. Like, was obviously that screwed us over. It completely screwed us over. Salzburg into, you know, into Inter. You'd take Salzburg every day of the week, although I think we'd be fine against Inter. But yeah, again, I think it's just, you know, it is stuff happens. You know Someone's probably lost their job sp- and then we will we'll move on. A lot of sport mistakes happen. And this is a part yeah, of and in life TV too. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. It's all about the drama of the UCL and the UEFA and all the draws. Who knows? If we see it happen again because PSG and Bayern got met together in the quarterfinal, then there was a redraw. Then you know that there might be something in it. But I think for yeah. me, it's the first time I've ever seen that happen. It'll probably be the last time. And at the end of the day, yeah, is I'd it agree. really gonna matter? Maybe. No. Nah. Not you know. Oh. Yeah. If this is a court, it's annoying. Yeah. But, if this was a quarterfinal yeah, draw or a semi, uh, the semi-final draw gets done after the quarterfinal draw anyway, but if this was the quarterfinal draw and you know we've had us get buy-in and then all of a sudden buy-in get United because there was a redraw, you know if you're a United fan, you're going, hang on a second, that changes our output, and yeah, you're probably going, well, United aren't getting through now. Where beforehand, if you're buying, you're going, well, we've avoided Liverpool now thanks to the redraw. It's just a part and parcel of sport, you know. Yeah, it is what it is. I agree. Alrighty. Well, once again, Damien, thank you for your company uh, for another episode. Thank you, thank you. As always, Paul, always a pleasure. I love doing the pod at the minute me and Paul on holidays, so you do get pods out on different days. So obviously, at some stage, we'll go back to a Monday, but it's worked. Every time we don't do a Monday, there's always been good news So to like, bring you. Yeah. So it's been nice. It's been good. Uh, as always, get in the Discord. Links will be under the podcast, wherever you see it, You know, in the description. So go check that out. Be part of it. So much content flying out. You can see me and Paul's content there, and I think it is a very good place to be over your Christmas holidays. 100%. So from us, that's where we'll wrap up. Obviously, we won't get an episode out before Christmas, so Merry Christmas to all the listeners. Hopefully, it is a safe one. 
and that you enjoy the first few days of the Boxing Day test and hopefully some Premier League fixtures over the weekend. And we'll be back next week for episode 41 of the PD Sports Podcast. <laughs>